Sunday. We're very excited. Uh, and we're just inviting all of our friends and neighbors and people at work, our friends from school, wherever they are, um, encouraging you to invite them to church next Sunday. We can, where we can love on them, show them how much we love Jesus, and uh, we just want them to have a good time, sit back and relax. I promise uh, we're not going to spook them out or do anything that's just going to make them run out the door or anything like that. Uh, we're going to take good care of them. And uh, so I'm hoping you are uh, already inviting friends and uh, inviting people that you know to church. Also, we got these invite cards. Uh, let me show you these. These are really cool. They're all they're in the North Foyer at the Welcome Center. Uh, we have some at the, the new Welcome Center as well as the old Welcome Center. They're just spread all out there. As you're going out the door this afternoon uh, after church, make sure just grab some because it's just good to have in your pocket. It's a great way to just hand somebody something that has the information about the church on there uh, to give them that. Um, it's just a great icebreaker to tell people uh, about your church. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're really, we're really excited. We are in a mission. Uh, we're on a mission right now because we're in a series uh, called On a Mission. We're taking a look. We're taking a fresh look at that wonderful, beautiful calling of Jesus Christ uh, that he gave all of the believers, often referred to as the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission, which is cool because it's got that word mission in there, but he sticks the word co at the beginning, which means we do it all together. The Great Commission, we get to do it together, and that calling that he called us to is to for all of us to spread the word, spread the gospel all around the world to everybody that we know. It's taken the whole gospel to the whole world. Amen? Whole gospel to the whole world. We talked about that a little bit last week. We're asking the question over this, this short series, what does it look like for you and for me uh, to walk out that mission, that calling, among the circles of people that we live in? And one way that we translate that together as a, uh, as a church community is through our stated mission. Uh, which is to live and to lead others into a vibrant, life-giving relationship. Number one, with Jesus Christ. We want to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need it for the rest of our lives. Amen? We want to lead them and lead, we want to live and lead others into a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, a relationship with each other, with our fellow believers, because we need that. We need this community right here. And a relationship in, in being engaged, connecting with the world outside of our doors. It's, it's relationship in three directions. And uh, that is our, our mission. What I want to do today on this last Sunday before uh, uh, Back to Church Sunday, I want to look at an example of a church in the Bible that, to me, absolutely redefined what being a church meant. These guys were awesome. They pretty much rewrote the book on uh, the definition of church. They forever revolutionized for us how we see ourselves as a church. You and I, uh, as a body of believers who not only live in a relationship with each other while being fully engaged with our city around us that desperately needs to hear the message of hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that church that we're going to look at today was the church of Antioch. Antioch. Everybody say Antioch. Antioch. So let me tell you a little bit about this place because I like, I like history. I like a little context. It helps me know what's going on. Uh, to give us some context for the stories that we're going to be reading. Antioch was the place, man. This place was, a, it was the premier destination for folks back in the first century to go and lose yourself. 
just lose yourself in pleasure. Like, forget all your troubles. Have that, like, lost weekend with your buddies. You go to Antioch. Uh, that was Antioch. It was the Vegas of the first century Roman Empire. Antioch. Uh, this was the place where you absolutely go to just lose it in self-indulgence. In fact, for a while, they had a slogan of the city, and in the Greek translated, it said, what happens in Antioch? You heard about, yeah. That's not really true, but that would be cool. I made that part up. That's the last thing I'll make up, I promise. Um, it really was, though, that kind of place. Uh, just uh, the, the sexual indulgent culture, it was woven in, it was even woven into their religion. Uh, the religion of, 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 of Apollo, there was, a, they had the temple prostitutes there. Um, I, let's look at a, a map, just so you can kind of get an idea. This is kind of the Holy Land. If you, if you look there, because geography is fun, boys and girls. So at the bottom, you have Jerusalem, you can see Jerusalem at the bottom, and then Judea is part of that region, then on up into Samaria, and then you get up into the region of Syria, and up there is Antioch. You can see it was just kind of the nexus of, of many things right up there. Um, now, a bit more about this city, just to kind of uh, help you understand, because it's important for our discussion today. Antioch kind of is almost like a, a character in the story. It was the third largest city in the whole Roman Empire, third largest right after Rome, and Alexandria, Antioch. The estimated population was between 300,000 and 500,000 people, which was huge for places back then. That was huge for an ancient city. It was a cosmopolitan center for trading, for sports, uh, business, entertainment center. Uh, everybody remember the movie Ben-Hur? The movie Ben-Hur, yeah, the Hippodrome and the chariot races. That's Antioch. That, that's where that was. Um, and it was a real mosaic of cultures, too. You had the Greeks and the Persians and Jewish, Roman, all blended together in the same city. It was called, uh, some of its names were called Antioch the Beautiful, Antioch the Great, the Queen of the East, it was known by. Uh, one of its names was Antioch by Daphne, because it was not only known as this premier destination for business and all that kind of stuff, but there was this place there called the Pleasure Park of Daphne, and it was associated with Apollo and his temple. Uh, like I said, in some of these, in the religion back then, the, the sex was like one of the primary ways you connected with the gods. So literally, sin and, and th this sort of thing is, is woven into the DNA of the city. And what's amazing, it is that, it's that in this city is where the church experiences a revolution in how it related to the world and how it saw its own mission to be played out. It's in this city that it happens. And as I study this out, I'm so humbled by these first Christians who were able, the, the way that they, the links they go to to connect with the world around them, uh, people that were totally alien to them and their way of life. The early Christian movement, you have to remember, first century, early Christian movement, it's, it's brand new, it's this newborn baby, and it's primarily instigated by Jewish converts, Right? Uh, in fact, they thought of themselves, those first Christians thought of themselves as Jews. They, they, they thought they were Jews who, you know, recognized the Messiah. And understand, to be Jewish back then, it wasn't just one group of people trying to get along with another group of people. Early Judaism, think back, it was fashioned around this definition of holiness that kept them separate from everything. That was their definition of holiness, separate from. It's what it meant to be a Jew. Their identity, the drive of their religion was about doing whatever they could to stay separate 
from others around them who were non-Jewish, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans. And they didn't just have traditions. You know, you, they, they didn't have like, you know, we have Christmas, you know, put up a tree or something like that. They didn't have traditions. They had these strict eating and dietary codes that meant that they could not even get very close to anyone not like them. And, you know, because that's, that's how we please God. That's the way they understood things. That's how you please God. And so that's woven into their religious uh, identity. And so for that group, for that group of all the religions on the planet, for God to start with that group and say, I will now teach you how to call anyone else on the planet brother and sister is remarkable. It's beautiful. It's radical. It has huge ramifications for us today. What these guys, when Jesus came into their heart, what, how it affected them. Uh, I, I, I sometimes fail to appreciate, I think, uh, how radical it changed them and the way they see people outside themselves. Now, the church in Antioch, they were one of the first churches. They really were the first church to be uh, intentional about evangelism. As a, as a whole. You had uh, instances of evangelism happening. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch happened there, you know, where people would uh, get evangelized on the road or in a house or something like that. But Antioch is the first to look at Jesus' message together and say, if God is showing us that the gospel is for all people and we can all be brothers and sisters together, then it's time for us to be intentional about that. Let's go get them. Antioch is the first. Let's go create Let's go create this new humanity, a multi-ethnic, multinational family of faith. Let us be evangelists. Let us be missionaries. That is Antioch. Now, what Antioch also understood really well is that sharing the whole gospel, like we've been talking about, the whole gospel, it means sharing it with our whole selves. And they took their cues from the life and lifestyle of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 5 here. In verse 14, pastor was just, just reading the, these words of Jesus. It's so beautiful. Uh, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, but put it under a bowl and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you. No. And glorify who? Your Father in heaven. They're going to see your good deeds, and, and you're not going to get, like, any credit for it. Isn't that awesome? They're going to see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good deeds. And the, and the good deeds that Jesus is speaking about in the context of Old Testament teaching and the context of his life of compassion and the early church there, these deeds were they're proactive uh, acts of compassion for other people. And often today, you know, we think about this, it's kind of evolved a little bit uh, into uh, letting my light shine. I'm going to let my light shine. In other words, I will not get involved in the sinful ways of the world. I will live such a moral life. I will be an exemplary, exemplary citizen, Right? And the world will know, you know, just, they will just see, they will know me by how amazingly, like, disengaged from culture I am, right? 
And sometimes we, we, we call that lifestyle, uh, we call that lifestyle evangelism. That's, and, and there's nothing wrong with lifestyle evangelism. I, but, it, but it says, I will live such a holy life that others will come to me and say, what makes you different? I want to be more like you. But we have to be careful, see, because often what happens is lifestyle evangelism, it may be our goal, but what we're practicing is more like lifestyle boredom, right? And so people would come to us instead and say, what makes you so boring? What makes you uh, define yourself by all the things you cannot do? Uh, yeah, I want more of that. Um, you know, and I can live this exemplary life, and people are just going to beat a path to my door and say, Scott, aren't you amazing? I want to have that same thing that you have. Um, the, the way you don't do so many things, <laughs> right? And we, we think, sometimes, I'm just being honest, right? Aren't, have you ever done this? I'm guilty of this. We kind of think, I'm going to let my light shine. I, I don't really have to go do anything. I just let my light shine. Everybody will notice, and they'll beat a path to my door, right? And that really can become, for some of us, sort of, sort of a cop-out, if you think about it. It's an excuse to not have to go out there and serve the needs of others, and communicate the gospel and the hope that Jesus brings and tell people about the, the strength and love and encouragement that we have right here in the fellowship of the church, the discipleship that we receive and the joy that comes out of this. And so what Jesus says here is that our good deeds, not just the absence of bad deeds, but our going out and serving others, that results in people turning to God worshiping God, our Father in heaven. And so, and so uh, we, we, we learn from the church historians that, you know, that in the first century, it's just amazing how fast the church expanded, right? Starts, from, starts with 12 guys, and pretty soon it's 100, like a, a few days later it's 100, and pretty soon it's, it's over 2,000, just, a, you know, one weekend over Passover, it explodes, and it spreads far and wide in, in part because this early church, like the one at Antioch, they were known for, for understanding the whole gospel. But coupled with that, coupled with their doing good deeds for people, was also the church's understanding that there is a message to be communicated. There are words to be said. They're, they're, they're like us, we're not just a, a compassion agency. Uh, we are to live the gospel, that's true, but we are also people who proclaim the gospel, amen? Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans 10, 3, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 14. But how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how... Will anyone go and tell them without being sent? The sent ones, that's, that's you and me. Apostolos, the sent ones. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We read this sometimes from the comfort of our chair and go, oh, that's those missionaries in Africa. God bless Larry and Marla. How beautiful are their feet. My feet are comfy right now in my shoes, in my chair, right? <laughs> when you are intentional about 
bringing this message of good news to other people. When you are intentional about bringing that message of good news to other people, that's the people you run across every single day, everything about you becomes beautiful. Even your feet, right? When you carry this message to other people, you become a work of beauty. From the toes up, you're beautiful. Because there really is a message, a spoken message that can transform lives. Do we believe that? It is a message that transforms lives. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power to save. This message that we're talking about has inherent power. It is not just nifty ideas. It has power. And this is the whole gospel. The whole gospel, which the church in Antioch, they shared with their whole being, in their words and in their actions. And as a church, we want to learn from them. Because we don't want to just be skewed one way or another. Yes, we're about getting souls saved. And yes, we're about being this compassionate, loving, embracing community. We want both. Both are important, right? We want to hold on to it with, with both hands together. Let's, let's be a two-fisted church, amen? Not reaching out with one hand and holding one behind our back, you know. Acts chapter 8, let's look at, let's look at Acts chapter 8. It, uh, let's see what mission looked like to these first Christians at Antioch. Um, so, like I said, this is the very beginnings of, of Christianity, Okay. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. What's happened here is, is Stephen has just uh, been put to death. He's been stoned in the street uh, for preaching the gospel. He's one of the first martyrs that we hear about. And so a great wave of persecution began, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. So these believers are what? They're Jewish, okay? Jewish believers in Jerusalem get persecuted, and they what? Scatter. Okay, just make sure we're all together. Verse 2, some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul, we're going to hear about him later, he becomes Paul, right? But right now, he's going everywhere to, to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison, which we know, of course, that would have meant death, for these believers. <clears throat> Verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So who are these people? Who, who are the stars of this story? They're just regular people, right? They're not the big shots. They're just regular people. They're not the, they're not the apostles. They're just church members. They're getting persecuted for being believers. And while they're literally scattering, they decide, you know, as long as we're on the run, we might as well make sure we're telling everybody about the gospel. Right? Flip forward a page or two to Acts uh, chapter 11. And we can see what happens here. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered, see, we just read about them two chapters ago. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria. So this is going all through Asia Minor here. They preached the word of God but notice, only to Jews, because they are what? They're Jews. So they're preaching the word of God, that's good, but they're only preaching to Jews. Look at chapter 20. 
This just leaped out at me this week. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. This is not Israel. These are foreigners who became Christians. They went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. You see what's happening here? See, the Jews scatter, and they do what, what they kind of know to do. We need to tell the other Jews, our fellow brothers and sisters, we need to tell them about Jesus. Well, these Greeks, these Cyrenes and, and the guys from Cyprus, they get saved. What do they do? Oh, we need to, we need to tell everybody. We need to tell the Greeks, right? You know what this shows me? The people that you and I lead to the Lord, they might not do things like we did them. You know? <laughs> They're probably going to improve on the process in a way that would be sort of shocking to us. Verse 21. I'll just let that simmer in your head. That's okay. You'll think about that on the way home. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So some of these Christians are fleeing persecution. Now, remember we, we talked about Antioch, right? What happens in Antioch stays in Antioch. Woo-hoo, it's, an, it's party 24-7. Some of these Christians, they flee persecution. Now, do they go someplace safe, like head for the hills, someplace like some compound filled with Christians like themselves? No, they head to Antioch, where you would expect people to just laugh them out of town, Right? We're, we're being persecuted, you know, for serving Jesus. Let's go to Vegas and, and preach there. Like, right? But they are driven by this need to let people know there's a new way of living. Amen? A freedom in Christ. And it's a freedom that is for Jews and for Gentiles, and, and they're not ashamed to talk about it. And people are responding. It says a great number of people believed. Let's keep going. Verse 22. This is good. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The writer repeats this. A great number of people were, were brought to the Lord. Uh, skip to verse 26. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul... Saul's now a Christian. Okay, we've, we've just skipped that little part, but he's, he's not killing Christians anymore. He is one. And he, they met with the church there in Antioch and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is an interesting thing. Uh, the, the writer just gives us this little tidbit of information. It is in Antioch that people first started to self-identify as, you know what, something different has happened to us. Let, let, let's call ourselves Christians, right? That's, be- that's beautiful. Um, uh, where am I? Verse 27. Okay. I'm too excited. I got to calm down here. Okay. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and he threw the Holy Spirit. He predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And so get this. What does Antioch, what do the Christians there do? The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They, this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So notice here that the, in Antioch, the Jews and Gentiles are, are gathering together, lots of different backgrounds. They function like brothers and sisters. And I'm so proud of the fact that that has long, long been central to our identity here at Generations Church. 
even back to our very beginning, back to when we were Grace Christian Fellowship Church, uh, that has always been a part of us. Whenever a church can reflect the diversity of the body of Christ in a local setting, Christians get to experience the kingdom of God in action. We get to see the kingdom of God in, in a greater measure, and non-believers, when they come, they see a clearer picture of the power of the kingdom. I love that. I love that about you. That's why every single one of us should be intentional about building relationships with Christians and non-Christians who are different than us, right? Who are different than us. That's why we call ourselves generations, plural, church, right? And not baby boomer church or millennial church, right? Although that's a cool name, millennial church. <laughs> but we are generations because we're all here, right? We don't have Sunday morning service for 25-year-olds and then a Sunday morning service for 30-year-olds and then one for, you know, 50-year-olds and, and, and men have this service and women have this service and, you know, we don't, you know, we're, we're not divided. We come in here, we come in here to celebrate together, right? We're worshiping together as one because it's all about Jesus in here. It is all about Jesus, and we come together as one body. We are the body of Christ, worshiping, putting ourselves down so that he'll be glorified. Amen. Notice also they're, they're a, the, Antioch, this church there, they're passionate about reaching out beyond their own walls. In, in such an age of persecution, which we can't, we can't understand, they could have really, understandably, they could have stayed comfortable and secure, just sort of battening down the hatches. You know, it could have been a lot of time when we think of end times church, that's like, that's the direction we want to go, right? Close that hatch and lock it. You know, the big time seal. So nobody can get in here, right? Lock the doors, store up the canned goods, wait for the second coming. They could have been that way because it was pretty bad. It, it probably looked like this is the end of the world. But they were committed to growing a message. And, that, and a healthy church, a healthy church is always going to be more concerned with the advance of the gospel than its own comfort. Amen? History records for us that that early church grew at a phenomenal rate. When I look at Antioch, I see, I see three reasons that really pop out to me. One of the reasons is when I look at Antioch, I see a relentless commitment for spreading the gospel through preaching and through good deeds. Relentless commitment to spreading the gospel through preaching and good deeds. Something else I see is an unbreakable commitment they had to encouragement among themselves in the face of persecution. They encouraged themselves. They took up alms for themselves when there was going to be a famine. You know, they, they, they took care of themselves. They encouraged each other right? Oh, you're being persecuted. You know, here, we, we're going through this together. The third thing I see is this genuine openness that church had, a desperate reliance upon the supernatural move of the Holy Spirit, right? This was not some kind of just sort of feel-good church. They were like into miracles, and they needed miracles. Miracles weren't just, would be cool if it happened. They required them day to day, they required the miracle move of the Holy Spirit. We need God. And they understood that we can't do this thing under our own power. They had miracles. And the, the Bible even says that 
in the first in, in, in the New Testament it says these miracles happen so that people would believe, right? So the miracles are a part of it. If you don't believe miracles happen anymore, then you believe that we're kind of done. We're just sitting tight, waiting for something, right? Miracles still happen. Miracles still happen, and, and I'm proud to belong to a church that believes that. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. Now, when I look at that, my brain sees something really familiar. I don't know about you. Exactly. I see, th- I see relationship in three directions. It worked in the first century, and it's going to work for us in the 21st century. It worked for Antioch. It'll work for Generations Church and Spring and Conroe and the Woodlands and Houston and Texas. It will work because it's, it's the way of the gospel. That's, that's kind of the gospel in action. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> okay. Just got a few minutes left here. And this is the, the last thing I'll get to say to you before the next time, you know, we're all here together and we're talking. It's going to be back to church Sunday. This place is going to be full of your friends that you brought, right? Amen, your neighbors. And, um, and it's going to be good. And, and let me just say this. We're not going to embarrass them. Uh, we're not going to make a big deal about them being here. You know, a lot of people, when they come to a new church, it's kind of a scary thing. Do you remember going to a brand new church? It can be a scary thing. And uh, we're not going to make them stand up and introduce themselves, you know, or anything like that. And uh, we're not going to give, like, a, you know, a big screen TV to the person who brings the most visitors today or something like that, you know, make them feel like they were used or something. We're not going to do any of that, all right? They're going to be able to sit there, enjoy themselves, and we're just maybe going to stay out of the way while the Holy Spirit hopefully talks to their hearts, okay? That's just my assurance to you. Um, okay, that was free. Here we go. If you're anything like me, though, you're, you, you desperately want to see, um, see everyone you know, all the people you know, sitting in that row next to you on Sunday morning. Imagine for a second how exciting it would be to be sitting next to your, your family member, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor, the person you see every day at the office. Imagine, imagine I'm sitting there. And I'm praying that as we share this vision, this mission of ours, that God, even right this moment, that God is bringing people to mind that you could invite. And you have people in your close circles. You have people in your outer circles even people outside all the circles <laughs> in your life, you have those people that God may be putting on your heart right now. Look at this scripture in Acts 1. He says a very interesting thing. This is some of the last words of Jesus. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that's a relief. You're not going to be doing this by yourself. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does this mean for you and me? What does this mean? How does this scripture translate into the geography of our lives? Because Jesus literally, turns out he is thinking geographically when he says this. If you remember that map, the first thing he mentions is Jerusalem. Who is Jerusalem? Jerusalem are those you are close to. You're Jerusalem. That's your friends, your family, right? You said the, 
your buds, the people who know you. You don't got to, like, act all weird or anything like that. They already know you. They know when you're being fake. They know when you're being real, right? So you don't got to put on anything. You just be real with them. Your close relationships. These people can tell if you're being yourself or if not. So just invite them from your heart. Show them you genuinely care for them and that you simply desire for them to experience something that's important to you. It's going to be beneficial for them. The second place Jesus mentions is Judea. Judea. These are the acquaintances you're not really close to, but they're acquaintances, right? They're in your region. The people that you know, these could be coworkers. It might be that other mom or dad who, like, is at your kid's school whenever you're there, and you see them all the time. You're like, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? It might be your neighbors that you don't know super, super well. You know, you always give them the finger, the nice finger, you know, when you're driving by. That didn't, that didn't come out right at all. We'll edit, it, edit that right out. Give them a hand wave. It might be a neighbor that you drive by and wave at. See? When you, when you listen to the podcast, it's going to sound so smooth. These are, good. These, these, are, these are people, you know, you like them, they like you, they respect you, they don't know you real well, but, you know, you can be cool, you can invite them. Bob, hey, Bob, I'm not sure if you have any plans for, for Sunday, but I've been attending this, you know, really cool, relevant church, and if you're not doing anything, no big deal, I'd love you to come check it out. I was thinking of you. The, these are people, they'll be honored that you were thinking of them, right? And even if they don't come, you know what that does? You know what that step does? It opens the door to what? Relationship, right? Because that's kind of the goal. So you keep it light, you keep it casual, but don't let fear stop you from asking a question that has the potential to change the course of their spiritual life. Don't let fear stop you. The third place Jesus mentions is Samaria. In the day of Jesus, the, the Samaritans and the Jews were actually enemies. So when he tells them, go into Samaria, those, that was the other. That was the people that, those, aren't, those people aren't like me, right? I'm not close to them at all. Those are the people you don't know. This is our Samaria. They're the other in our life. These people, maybe you see them on occasion, but you don't really know them that well. They're people maybe you, you just met for the first time. Maybe you're sitting at Starbucks one day, you know, and someone sits next to you, and you, you're just like, hey, um, my name's Scott. I don't know if you, you have a church, but if you're looking for a cool place to check out, I'd love you to invite you to my church on Sunday, right? That easy. Not awkward at all. Short and sweet. You know what? It might even open the door to a conversation. Well, I don't really go to church. Oh, oh, what's going on? What, what up with that? And, and remember, if you start talking to somebody and they tell you they're not really into church, don't argue with them. Listen to them. That's what most people want, right? To be listened to. That's what sows the seeds of. Thank you. All right. So, inviting people is so important. Inviting people is key to it's key to evangelism. It's key to the you know the mission of any church. Um, and for you and I, you know what? We have it really nice because uh, it's not illegal. It's not illegal yet to invite somebody to church. We're not risking our freedom, like you really are in some countries. You know, if you're in Nepal or building that church, you get arrested for doing that. We don't have to worry about that. All, all we are risking is our pride. Amen? 
all we're risking is our pride. And get this, uh, we, we, we know people actually want to be invited. They want to be invited. Up to eight out of 10 unchurched people say they would come to church if invited, according to the researcher Thomas Rayner. Eight out of 10. And, and the numbers are, are all different statistics. They're all right around that number. The only problem is about only about one in five of us churchgoers ever invite anybody to church over the course of a year. So we might have somebody who could totally be up for it right in front of us. They're up for us right that whole time. They're practically begging us to invite them and instead we hesitate and we hem and haw because we feel a little weird and sometimes the words just won't come out of our mouth. People want to be invited to church and they'll come if we do. There's only one thing holding us back, fear, fear. Look, I, I, I'm not a freak. I understand fear, right? I'm, I'm kind of a shy person. If you know, you know, if, you, if we're, you know, have a personal relationship, you know, I'm kind of shy, I'm kind of quiet, especially getting a crowd of people I don't know. I kind of just get in the corner and wait for it to be over. I'm sort of that guy, naturally. So I understand it. I know the fears that creep in when you imagine asking somebody to church. Will they think I'm weird for inviting them? I don't know what to say. You know, maybe if I was like some really, you know, if I was Pastor Albert, I would like have all these amazing scriptures in my head and I would just speak words of wisdom flow through the Holy Spirit and speak words of incredible wisdom and tell them things about themselves that nobody knows. You know, if I could do that, maybe it would come more naturally. You know, how can I do it naturally in a way that doesn't feel forced or weird? I understand that. I'm right there with you. I understand that. Here's five tips to get around the fear, okay? We're going to end with this. Five tips that get around that fear that's been stay, that stood in your way up to now. And some of these I've adapted to for a really brilliant thing I read uh, by uh, Matt Rogers of pastor up in Seattle. He says, number one, pray that you would have God's heart for the lost. This is essential. Pray you'll have God's heart for the lost. You know, we, we see God's heart so clearly in the cross, in the sacrifice he did on the cross. Uh, meditate on Paul's words in Romans when he said that he would rather himself be accursed than just one of his kinsmen be separated from God. That's, a, that's someone with God's heart for the lost. See, if your heart has become so hardened that you no longer really care about your neighbor that's estranged from Christ, you need to repent, right? You gotta repent of that. Pray that God would give you a powerful love for those who don't know him. The missing are what matters to God. Love, and get this, don't wait around for more courage. Courage doesn't get you there. Love gets you there, all right? Love is what casts out fear not bravery, not courage, love. Love creates boldness, okay? So pray for love. Number two, pray for specific people. Those people that God are kind of putting on your heart, not every, every single one of you right now, you're kind of thinking of, oh yeah, him, oh, I don't want to ask him. Oh, oh, oh yeah, her, yeah, I could do, oh man, she needs to be here. Oh God, help me to, help me to love that person. Oh, that person's kind of annoying, but God, oh, help me to love that person. And, and you start, God starts, you start seeing these people the way God sees them. Then, you, so you pray for those people, pray for those people, the, you know, pray, pray for like five people that God puts on your heart. And when he does that, trust that he's going to give you the love that you just prayed for to reach out to those people. Number three, remember the grace that God has for you. 
Nothing will motivate you like remembering how much you don't deserve God. Yeah. Man. Instead of focusing on your fears, which is all about me, redirect your mind to the grace of God. His grace. The more we reflect on His grace and the mercy that He's shown us, the more our hearts are going to want to see that love poured out into the lives of others. Amen? Remember God's grace for you. Number four, get excited about the gospel. Get excited about the gospel. Remember, the gospel is not an invitation to start being boring. If that's the way you view the gospel, that's kind of hard to go and tell your friends about. Come stop doing stuff with me. It's awesome. Right? That's, that's, I understand why you're not inviting people to church. Yeah. The gospel is an invitation to step into freedom. Step into freedom. Freedom from the bondage that sin has in our lives. It's deliverance. It's life everlasting. It's healing. Amen? The gospel has the power to save, and it has the power to also to inspire you to tell. When you get a sense of what the gospel really is, it will inspire you to tell people about it. I've seen God change people who seemed hopeless. We've probably all seen those people. We've all seen God change people that we thought, man, there's no way. But God changed them, reaching people in their darkest moments. He saved me. He reached into my life. So don't be discouraged if you, if you know somebody who, they just seem kind of beyond help. God is able to save anyone. God is able to save anyone, which brings us to our last one. Know this, it's not really about you. It's not all about you. Nothing about God saving your neighbor depends on you except you being a willing instrument for him. Okay? You're not going to save their soul. You're not going to do surgery in their mind. You're not going to wake up their dead spirit. You don't do that. You're not called to do that. Salvation is of God. It's not about your clever arguments. The Holy Spirit is the one who wakes up a dead heart. Amen? The Holy Spirit. So that kind of takes the pressure off us a little bit, right? It takes the pressure off, you know, worrying about the ability to get the words and the timing just right. Our job is faithfulness. It's faithfulness to tell his gospel. The results are up to God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave you with a scripture this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.12. I love this scripture. I love it. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Amen? Maybe if you don't already got a life verse, let this be your life verse. You can borrow it this week. This could be your life verse this week, okay? We are very bold. Don't let this week pass you by without rising to the challenge of influencing the life of the people that God has placed in your life the people in your circles. Imagine the day a year from now when that person that you know, someone you know, is worshiping God with their hands in the air because you invited them this week. Imagine that because you invited them to church this week. That picture can become a reality, but it starts with an invitation. All right? Be the one that God uses to take that step. Be bold. Be the church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. God, we ask you, fill us with your love, your love overflowing. 
Help us to, to recognize the way that you see people. Help us to see people the way you see them and to love them the way you love them and to be desperate for them to hear the good news, Lord God. Help us to be instruments in, of you, Father. We ask you, Lord, to flow through us, to use us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that we're not judged on the results, Father. We're just judged on our faithfulness. And I thank you for every single person in here, that they will be obedient to, the, to, the, to your word, obedient to those, those words that you're sending them, those names that you're dropping in them, their spirit. Help us all to be obedient, Lord God. Help us to, to fill your house with people who need to hear about you, Lord God, so, so that your kingdom can grow. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I appreciate you guys letting me spend a few weeks talking about this. And um, I, hope, I hope you're as inspired as I am. I'm, I'm telling you what, telling you is inspire, inspires me. It, it makes me want to, you know, get out of my seat and go do something too. So I'm right there with you. Let's fill it up next week. Amen. Amen. And remember, most importantly, this whole week, Keep, keep that service in your prayers. Keep those people who are going to be coming in, keep them in your prayers. Be praying all week long that God will uh, minister to those people, change lives. That's what we're after. We're after change lives, okay? So keep that in your prayers. We love you guys. Y'all have a wonderful week, and we will see you Wednesday night. Bye-bye. I'm so sorry. Yes, if there's anyone here who needs prayer this morning, Come forward and let these good prayer partners uh, pray for you in faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys.